We often tell ourselves stories that shape our beliefs, our actions, and even influence how others perceive us. Sometimes these stories help. Usually, they just get in the way. But what if we could rewrite these hidden notions to better empower us and improve our career? Why, we could go from... It doesn't seem like the right time to ask for something. To... It's never a great time for the company to risk losing talent. And from... It sounds like I'm bragging. To... Others don't always know. My job is to let them know. Let's create a new inner story and change that mindset from being lost in the crowd to up front and center. After all, you can't always be that kid at the top of the water slide overthinking things. Sometimes you just have to jump. Reframing your inner narrative. It's what we're talking about today. This is the Insights at Work podcast. Three, two, one, Geronimo! Let's dive in. Welcome to the Insights at Work podcast, the podcast that looks at what's happening in the HR world, takes your questions, and studies the research to help HR experts move forward. It's prepared by HR experts for HR experts. Whether you're starting out in your career or already in that senior role, how you see yourself and what you tell yourself might often be the biggest obstacles to your own success. Let's change that with the insights from today's leadership expert guest. Let's challenge that current narrative you might be telling yourself and step out of the history that's been holding you back and into a new story that you're willing to create. Right now, I'd like to welcome Peloton addict, pierogi lover, and author of the best-selling book, Reframe Your Story, Tammy Hearman. Tammy, you're really well-known and HR circles and throughout social media, but for those in the audience who may not know who you are, why don't you fill them in? Thank you, Jeff. Now you mentioned the pierogies, so I will admit I'm a girl from the prairies who moved to the big city over 20 years ago, and I built my career in leadership development in a variety of industries, both inside organizations and in consulting, and now uh, as part of my own company. And so I specialize in leadership development with and for women uh, through keynotes, workshops, and high potential programs. So it's really, I'm all about propelling women. Now, Tammy, you might have seen a spike in sales this week because our entire Insights at Work podcast crew bought the book. And it's awesome. It really inspired us all. So much so that one of the team asked to join in today's conversation. So I'd also like to welcome a third voice to the podcast today. And that's Shauna G. Thanks, Jeff. I can't believe you finally invited me to the show. I'm pretty excited. I'm looking forward to a really insightful discussion today. And Tammy, I loved the book. So I'm really excited to dive into this topic. Thanks, Shauna. So Tammy, well, let's start with why you wrote the book. It really opened my eyes to how much I might be holding myself back from opportunities. And it's really because of what I've been telling myself about what I can achieve. Does that sound about right? It does. Thank you, Jeff. And I have to tell you, I'm thrilled that the um, that the book resonated with you because I, you know, while I did target it uh, to women, uh, leadership is gender agnostic, or at least it should be. And we'll probably get more into that later. But, um, you know, for all of us, our values and beliefs shape our mindsets, which then shape our actions and behaviors. And so the stories we tell ourselves matter. And of course, you know, there are many um, workers who, who've known this for a long time. 
time. So athletes, uh, professional performers, right? They always knew that their performance hinged on their mental game. And so that led to, you know, sports psychologists and, and, um, and moving from telling us things like, no, don't choke, don't strike out, don't, don't forget your lines, don't, don't, don't. And of course, we we're feeding our brains with the behaviors we don't want. And so this has been around for a while, yet somehow we don't talk about it in the business world. I love the idea of reframing stories. I think even in my career as a marketer, it's something I try and do on a daily basis, not personally, but for products, for services, for those types of things. But one thing that really resonated with me, so earlier in my career, I was often the youngest leader around the table. I was more often than not younger than those reporting to me on my team. I was younger than the folks who were at the leadership table. I've always thought of myself as very confident and capable. I, I didn't feel like I was lacking in ability or didn't deserve to be there. But at times, just given the perception of socially that I was the youngest one, that maybe I didn't have the same amount of knowledge or experience as the folks around the table, um, I, I sometimes would do things that maybe I didn't think was the right decision or that I wanted to say no to. So in, in the book, you talk a lot about imposter syndrome. And that was a prime example that came to mind for me specifically. So you talk about its impact and how imposter sy syndrome can really have an impact on leadership and your growth and moving forward in your career. So how can you talk about that with folks and help them play into the vision of their career path? How, what do you take into consideration when thinking about imposter syndrome and how to move forward and escape it? Yeah. So, so it's interesting you say escape it because I'm not sure that we ever can, but here's the thing. Um, the interesting thing is that men and women equally suffer from imposter syndrome. And, and isn't that great to hear because it is saddled as a women's issue. Um, but imposter syndrome, as you're you know talking about it, it's, it's either we believe our, our success isn't deserved or maybe we're kind of there by fluke or that um, our skills and abilities haven't played as large of a role as we want them to. But the reality is that 25 to 30% of high achievers actually suffer imposter syndrome and across genders and up to 82% of adults uh, experience imposter syndrome at least once in their lifetime. So this isn't a women's issue, although we have been saddled with it. And I think there's a reason why, a couple of reasons why that is. Um, you know, women were raised kind of as, as young girls not to take risks, to please everyone, to keep the peace, to look out for the you know needs of others, not to brag, all these, all these things. Whereas boys and men were taught to be strong, take risks, take charge. And, and this has led to a term that's now called to toxic masculinity um, or the, you know, so, so this inability or reluctance to be vulnerable. So what I, what I see is that while we equally may feel these feelings you're describing, um, you know, men are taught to just go for it anyway, and then women hold their they hold themselves back more so, generally speaking. Of course, everything we're talking about today is kind of generally speaking based on the research. But if there's people out there who don't, um, you know, feel these same things, I say awesome, <laughs> awesome. We need more of those. Um, so, you know, when we talk about imposter syndrome, what we have to do is say, okay, wait a minute. Has this reluctance to, you know, feeling like I deserve my success, going for it despite maybe in your example being, you know, younger than everyone else, is that serving me well? Um, no, it's not. And is that serving all women well? No. So some of the key things I talk about is, is you know, 
um, regularly. You know, this is across kind of all of the research on self-efficacy, on, on um, self-worth, on self-confidence, on imposter syndrome is tracking our accomplishments, reminding them, reminding them of why Sean, you were you were promoted early. You work because you're great at what you do, because you're great at influencing, because you're great at getting results. And we just have to keep reminding ourselves of that. Now, Tammy, you talk about how life takes over more so for women than men. And you also talk about the ambition gap and how it changes at different points in one's career. Now, I've seen it with me where I'll place greater priority on what I can learn from a role and also how much I actually enjoy what I do over that title. But that's not for everybody. And some people, they like those titles. Now, is there a difference between how men and women go about planning their careers and articulating what they want and where they want to go in the office? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with the, the life taking over piece. So um, for the most part, uh, you know, women are primarily responsible for caretaking duties still um, for the most part with, um, you know, children or elderly parents or other kind of community um, uh, obligations. But then so, we also spread ourselves across more domains, whether it's homework, community and, and whatnot. Um, so when I talk about life taking over, what I'm referring to is this inexplicable pull and guilt that women feel when they you know, decide to engage in a career. It's what I described as kind of my daughter, you know, hanging onto my leg, asking me why I have to go to work. Um, but but here's the here's the thing. Some really interesting research came out at the beginning of the the pandemic. It was over four thousand Canadians were asked, and um, men reported on average thirty three hours of work before the pandemic on uh, caretaking duties, and forty six kind of during the pandemic. Whereas for women, it was sixty eight hours before the pandemic, and then ninety five hours after. So I mean, if you do the math on that, I mean, working full time, you know, coupled with this childcare, that leaves like two and a half hours of so when you talk about life taking over, right? I mean, at that point, it's it's just you know, survival. And and how we've gotten to this position is um, this pull between ideal worker, ideal you know mother or caretaker. Um, the ideal worker is a concept from the 1950s, which you know we only have to watch you know the Mad Men shows and and whatnot to see it was that person, that man who would just give everything to their career and, and work endless hours because they knew that things were taken care of on the home front. And that doesn't serve us well in dual working families. I have to say that when I watch Mad Men, I'm, I'm not really crazy about all the smoking in the office, but really bringing that daily cocktail hour and the napping back in the afternoon. <laughs> how bad could that be? It, if you're a man, if you're a man, so bad, right? I, <laughs> I have to tell you, I worked uh, for a, a, an amount of time in Belgium not too long ago. I mean, it's been the 2000s and people were still smoking in the office. Ugh. <laughs> Horrible. Absolutely <laughs> wild. So, yep. Tammy, when you're talking about ambition gaps and the link between life taking over and being in the workplace and moving forward, I think one of the things that really resonated with me and is really important to make sure that life doesn't take over is when you talk about the importance of purpose and having this larger vision, sort of setting that stake in the ground to understand what that important, meaningful work is for you. Now, I'm a huge believer in the why. I actually once had a colleague jokingly limit me to asking three why questions a day because it was just, it was too much. So understanding the why and purpose at work is something that I do very naturally. It helps me create meaning. It helps me create better work. I feel very connected to asking that question at work. 
But when I look at it personally for my own career, I find it way more difficult. So one of the exercises you have in the book talks about taking the time to explore this. So I've been working on it. I can't profess that I've found the answer <laughs> yet, but I definitely have been working on it. And when you've helped others through this exercise, just as I'm trying to work my way through it, have there been any aha moments that pop up or common themes or things that you have noticed that seem to be consistent with people's whys? Absolutely. And, and this is an activity I do all the time. And so you wouldn't be alone in struggling with this. Um, but as you've mentioned, there's power in having this personal vision this, of what is us at the horizon, right? Our, our legacy, how we want to have impact, um, what fulfills us, how, how we want to be perceived as a leader, all of these great things. There's power in knowing this. And But, but here's the thing. I think, as, especially for women, we think it has to be the perfect right answer. And what I always say is just start just start. It can change. It can evolve. You, it's just, it's a living document, but just start because when we can talk to people about our aspirations, um, then that's how we can get sponsorship and we can get help along the way. But when we don't talk about anything, then, then how can we expect people to, to understand how to help us? Um, so the biggest ahas are, are really, um, first of all, when we articulate it, when we say it aloud to others, it makes us believe it. We hear it and we believe it. And I tell some of those stories in the book as well. Um, there's power in hearing our stories <clears throat> in sharing and getting feedback and support and commitment from others. So that's the first one, right? It actually is powerful to, to say it. The second is then it can guide our decisions. Then we can say um, yes to things, no to things. Um, and that's empowering. So you might think through, okay, is this next step, does that get me closer to, to my vision? Um, if I say, keep saying yes to these kinds of things is that diluting my focus on my vision so that's empowering as well and then the third thing is, is it makes the day-to-day -day slog less meaningless um, we will put up with a lot of crap in the short term when we know that there's something longer term when there's that fulfillment and studies have have actually linked this to to having this purpose to lower all-cause mortality um, and so I think it's something that we really should take the time to think about. And of course, when I talk about women plan their careers in shorter increments, it's usually because life takes over, especially during um, those mid-career years. Um, and so it's never too late to do this. And again, it changes and evolves. So let's not get paralyzed in thinking that it has to be perfect right out of the gate. Tammy, we've been doing a lot of research lately at ADP on recruiting and onboarding. And one of the key themes that keeps popping up is just how important it is to create that bond between you and that new employee by talking about what that those company values and the purposes of what the company's trying to achieve. Yeah, and and so of course, you know, you would know in your line of work that when there's alignment between kind of the values of the organization and then the values of the person, then then both wins. Um but it's interesting because I think a lot of people think that these values and this purpose just strike us like a bolt of lightning and, and they don't. And researchers that have done, you know, work in this area say it, it doesn't strike us like a bolt. You have to create value and meaning and you'll get a piece of that from your work environment and you'll get a piece of that from your, you know, your home and your broader life. Uh, and so I think that's the critical piece is sure the alignment is fantastic when it happens and we get purpose and value from many parts of our lives and organizations have to make room for that. If anything has been proven in the pandemic, it's that we are whole people. 
Absolutely. Now, further to that, I love getting stuff done and getting stuff done on its own brings a certain level of satisfaction, right? Checking something off that list. Love it. Um, but, but how do we sort of tie that back to that purpose? There are lots of day-to-day things that we need to actually slog through to get to that purpose. And I, and I know Jeff, you share that same uh, ability. You're the go-to guy, right? If someone wants something done, it's, Hey, ask Jeff, he'll get it done. Well, it's true. I think, I think both of our superpowers, Shauna, it's getting stuff done. It's multitasking. It's taking on a variety of projects. We're part of a small team and we're really known for delivering those complex projects that solve complex problems. We try to make it look really straightforward, but I think there's sometimes some downside to that, to how people might view us in the, in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, you guys, I could talk about this one all day long. Um, a number of years ago, I did um, a 360 assessment. And for you know any of your listeners that don't know, that's when everyone gets to give feedback on you, your direct reports, your boss, your colleagues, sometimes customers, right? And what came through for me is that I was perceived as more tactical than strategic. And I thought to myself, how is this even possible, right? I'm building a business. I went to business school. I got the big picture. I build programs that teach other leaders how to be strategic. Like, how is this happening? And then I realized no one had insight into my strategic capability. I was so in the weeds, executing, getting things done uh, that I wasn't paying any attention to, um, you know, my my organization's um, strategic goals, my team's strategic goals, um, like I should be. And so here's here's you know, the rub with that. We rise in the organization to a certain point, just getting stuff done, being great at our job and executing. Um, but that's where the typical kind of manager or director taps out. And in order to go higher, you have to work primarily on strategic things. And for women, that tends to be more of a battle for a lot of the things we've already talked about, kind of masters of our to-do lists and belief in meritocracy and all of that. But also we tend to delegate less. We tend to take on more stuff um, that isn't directly part of our goals. And, And so that leaves us as great executors, not as great strategic thinkers. And so that, that is a greater, um, Uh, kind of a greater challenge for women. Uh, But then you you said, you know, and how does that tie into our vision? Well, that's why if we have a vision, we can use that as a guidepost to say, what am I signing up for? What am I tackling? Um, What opportunities am I saying yes and no to? Because, you know, we're all busy. We'll never not be busy. And so we have to ruthlessly prioritize and say no. Yeah, absolutely. Tammy, when we start talking about trying to shift from being perceived as tactical to strategic, there's a term that you use and it's called office work. It's a great term. Can you talk a bit about that term and the cost it incurs on one's career and how that reinforces the perception that you don't want others viewing you as being strictly tactical? Yeah, sadly, this term has been around for a while. It's that grunt work. It's those non-promotable tasks. It's it's the things that, you know, I'm happy to help, uh, whether it be setting up for meetings, taking all the notes, uh, you know, taking all the action items, cleaning up the meetings, party planning. And the new one to watch out for now is diversity, inclusion, and belonging work that oftentimes women and other minorities get saddled with, but don't get counted for on their performance reviews. Um, so this is kind of the, the grunt work. And, and one study showed that, that women... Uh, volunteer for up to 200 hours of this office housework, 200. 
200 hours. Can you believe it? If I told you that you had that amount of time to work on strategic projects, to exercise or get more sleep, whatever it is, um, you know, we'd take it back. And, and sometimes we do it even unknowingly. And um, and so, you know, I tell the story in the book of this, this woman who reached out to me on LinkedIn after, uh, after I was talking about this issue of, of don't be the brunt of the grunt work. And unknowingly, right? She was part of a, a creative team and they, they were always brainstorming and kind of early on in their time together, she said, oh, I'll write up on the flip chart. I'll capture our, our ideas. And of course it fell into a pattern. Every meeting she was the note taker. And what she realized is that she wasn't able to express the ideas as clearly to the bosses. She wasn't able to talk about them. She wasn't able to give ideas because she's so busy writing down other people's. Um, you know, were these men on her team asking her to do this? No, she might have even thought she was exercising, you know, good leadership or a great team player in the beginning, but it fell into this unconscious pattern of doing the tactical work. Uh, and so these are the things we have to watch out for because you don't get noticed for talking about, you know, other people's ideas or scripting. Um, it's about having them and communicating them yourself. Absolutely. And I loved the term office housework as well. I, I thought it really resonated with me, the administrivia that happens at the workplace. And you mentioned just now, Tammy, uh, looking like a team player. So I think that's something, do you have any advice for folks in terms of how you still look like a team player and do contribute to that overall running of the office? Because it, at the end of the day, that work still needs to get done. So how do you carry on like a good team player? contribute, but also not be viewed as the one who does all of the office housework. That's right. Um, and so, I mean, the work that I primarily do first is on mindset always. So what I would say is we have to redefine the word team. And so oftentimes when we say, you know, yes, because we want to be a good team player, we're diluting our own goals and our own objectives, things that we are dedicated to, you know, to the team, either we run or, the, or that we're, um, you know, we're responsible for. And so part of the messaging is, you know, here's what the team is counting on, on me for. Um, so redefining that. And then another mindset shift we need to, is to be okay with, you know, can I say pe pissing people off? Can I say that? <laughs> That's a huge step for many of us. And that is one that I battled a lot uh, when I was in an executive role in, in, until I set a mantra for myself. This week, Tammy, you are going to say no at least once and you're going to ruffle some feathers and you're going to learn to be okay with that. Because to your point, Shauna, yes, it needs to get done. But if it's always done by the same people, then, then that just becomes the default and the norm. So we have to redefine what helping is. Um, instead of uh, you know, in this example I gave with myself, instead of doing the whole presentation for you, I'm going to sit down with you for two hours. We're going to brainstorm. I'm going to guide it. And then you'll take it through to execution. Well, you know, I think what was really interesting in the book, what I think is a really great example that you give is how some people, when they walk into that boardroom or the meeting, they don't even bring a pen or a paper with them because they know I'm here just to give my ideas and provide some guidance. 
Yeah, I, I, w- I worked with a few people who were notorious for that. And it, it was just a signal they were sending that, you know, you're here to me to, to, to count on me for ideas and I'm, I'm not taking anything away. And then, of course, on the other flip side, there were people who who would you know scurry away and take everything out of that sense of obligation. And so work was not going to the right places because, of course, if someone is going to pick it up, then someone will just happily let it go. We're all, too, you know, we're all too busy uh, to to, uh, you know, to say no to someone saying, oh, I'll take that. OK, great. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, we have to watch for that. Now, Tammy, there's two stories in the book, and, and they stuck with me as well. And the first one is about when your daughter developed the picture that boys were the leaders because they jumped first, head on in most situations. The second story is when you were uh, conducting a, a women's business workshop that you delivered to a mixed audience, and the first people to respond to your questions were men. Tammy, how do we ensure that we're creating an environment where everyone's encouraged to develop that voice to speak up and speak up quickly. Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's interesting. So the, so I'll I'll talk first about um, it's incumbent on all of like all of us employees, leaders, team members, all of us to give influence to minority voices. Um, and we've been talking about that for a while, um, but we really need to focus on this. And so almost, you know, every single meeting, we need to look around the table or look around the Zoom boxes on the screen and say, who is not talking, who has not said anything, um, and bring them into the conversation. We have to do that. So that's the first part, I think, um, that that all of us have to focus on. Um, but Jeff, I do think that we do link leadership traits and we do promote leader, leaders who speak up. Uh, one organization I worked with even called it standing alone, right? Can you stand up with contrary opinions? Can you? And so that means you need to bring it in meetings. And um, of course, you know, unfortunately, whether it's in school and in the office place, we do give credence to those who talk the loudest. Um, luckily, people like oh, Susan Kane, right, and her quiet book is, is doing amazing work saying, you know, we can have introverted leaders. In fact, we need to have some of these, you know, internal thinkers. So thankfully for that. But I work with so many aspiring leaders and aspiring executives, and they struggle fiercely. And a lot of them with women is how do I bring my voice into the conversation? How do I, you know, say something just not to hear myself talk? Um, Because that's annoying. (laughs) It's annoying. It is. Um, But I myself was told as a vice president that I took up a chair, but I didn't. It's like I wasn't even there. And and so that's when I learned that the risk of not speaking up was actually greater than saying something imperfectly. And that's what a lot of women struggle. I, I'm not expert enough to speak up. I, you know, maybe I'm interrupted when I do all of these things that are happening. And, and so we do need to find a way to get into conversations because a leadership for a large, uh, you know, large portion perceptions are you have to be able to have those conversations. Absolutely. I think that has a huge impact. I personally, Jeff can attest to this, like to speak up sometimes. (laughs) It's something that I do do. But I mean, I think it's really easy to be a cheerleader for your team, right? It's, It's especially, I think, women naturally gravitate towards really propelling their team and shouting from the rooftops how wonderfully wonderful they are. But at times that can actually 
minimize your own contribution to the project or to the meeting. So Tammy, do you have any tips in terms of how, as a leader, as a woman, how you can make sure that your team is being recognized and pushed forward in the organization, but that you also are as well? How can you make sure that's something that can propel all of you forward? Mm -hmm. So I have to say this um, is the hottest topic for me right now. No matter what I'm giving a workshop on, this comes up um, or I'm asked to speak on this topic. And I think, you know, exposure and profile, especially as we're kind of all working from home is top of mind to many people, but, uh, but especially um, women. So the first thing we have to do is reframe um, what we were, you know, taught as young girls that we are not bragging, we are not boasting. And the reframe is we are providing information. We're providing information about, you know, what we're working on, what success we had, which by the way, is also successful for the team and the organization. We're providing organization for where we want to add value, where we want to add value next. Uh, we're providing information for, you know, putting up our hand and maybe filling the pipeline of future leaders. All of this is providing useful information to decision makers. That's how we have to think about it, not bragging and boasting. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, but the other thing is we make this mistake thinking that, um, you know, talking in the I, as I call it, you know, I do this, I do that. And talking in the we, team, 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 are mutually exclusive. And they're not. We can actually, and I give examples of this in the book, we can actually use them together. And we're even stronger when we do. So, you know, my team did this. And I'm so proud of them because, and here's what I did. And whew, now that I got them humming and, you know, on their way, I can now focus on these strategic things, boss man. Isn't that great? So, <laughs> so I and we can coexist and, and it's actually stronger when we do. And I think that's a lot more palatable, especially for women. Uh, there's so many books out there and, and advice, you know, just go, just go out, brag, do this. And, and that's a very uncomfortable place for most women. Um, and so what I'm saying is, no, 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 reframe, you're providing information and you can do this together. They they are not mutually exclusive. That's a great piece of advice, Tammy. I, I really love the tactics that you present throughout the book. You do this incredible job at giving great examples about how we can lighten the mental load at work and be more fearless in the workplace. And you do this yourself when you take the time in the book to say how proud you are of it. And you even ask your readers to write a positive review of the book. So before we get to the end of today's podcast, I thought I'd take a page out of your book and ask the listeners to leave a comment about today's episode, to tell their friends and colleagues about the podcast, and of course, to subscribe so they don't miss the next time we launch our next Insights at Work podcast. Now, Tammy, is there anything impactful that we haven't discussed that you'd like to share today? Um. I think what what I'll just leave kind of the listeners with is, you know, we didn't touch on the the last chapter, which is sometimes the um, the biggest one for for a lot of people, and it's about reframing guilt, perfectionism, and rumination. Which what I'll what I'll leave is kind of my one tip: if we can work on anything together, is self compassion. And self compassion has been shown again across the research to have more impact on relieving stress and anxiety than any other tactic. We can tell ourselves different stories, set less crazy expectations, don't let a mistake define us because we're so much more than that. Um, and that's really why I talk about, um, you know, this isn't about doing more. This is about being more for yourself.
That's fantastic. And Tammy, as we reach the end, how do listeners get in touch with you? What if they want to drop you a line and, and learn more? Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, it's my website, TammyHearman.com. So it's two E's, two N's. You can sign up for my monthly newsletter to kind of stay on top of what's happening in the um, in the women in leadership space. Also, Tammy Hearman on LinkedIn and Instagram. Or if you want to send me a message directly, it's Tammy at TammyHearman.com. So pretty simple. Awesome. I'm sure the Insights at Work crew will be sliding into your DMs, as they say. <laughs> Um, before we toss it back over to Jeff to wrap up the podcast, one of the features that I really like personally about the podcast is some of the personal questions that we ask towards the end. So I have five questions with your, you know, first answer that comes to mind, the rapid fire, the rapid fire. (laughs) So interestingly enough, maybe we, maybe we lose this question next time around, but the first question is your favorite tool to help you get things done. I think we've realized maybe we do too much. Maybe we don't need that tool. Maybe we need (laughs) your book. (laughs) Maybe you need my book, but you know what, what I think of it, because I think everyone always goes to technology is I think about a a rested mind, Like, like my rested mind is my greatest tool. Wonderful. Now, when you have that rested mind, what's your favorite resource to go to for industry information? Mm, um, so I am a, a loyal follower of, it's called The Broadsheet by Fortune, and it's daily in my inbox. And I, I get a ton of great information there, about all things women in business related. Awesome. The Broadsheet. I'll check that out. Now, here's some fun ones. The first concert you ever attended. It's <laughs> embarrassing. Def Leopard. Love it. Def Leppard was the first album, Mania, that I ever had. My first album, Def Leppard. Oh my God, look at that. Wow, rocking out. Okay, so we know the first concert. What was the best concert that you've ever attended? Yeah, that's hard. But I'm going to say um, uh, Michael Jackson at Wembley Stadium. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty spectacular. Mm Mm-hmm. And then to wrap things up, your favorite piece of advice that you'd give to a young professional just starting out. Okay. Well, we didn't talk too much about networking today. So I'm going to say, if you're, you know, just entering, build your network and, and, uh, reframe that building relationships is part of your job, no matter what your job description says. Tammy, I have really, I've just taken so many notes today. I mean, I always think that selfishly, I'm the one who really gets the most from these experiences and from the podcast. And today's just been extra special because I get to share that experience and that knowledge with Shauna today. So Shauna, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Jeff. It's been a pleasure. And Tammy, really just thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just been an absolute, absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Me too. I had a lot of fun with both of you. Sean, I was glad you joined as well. And this is the part of the podcast where I thank everyone for listening in. I know it's tough to find time to carve out for thought leadership, and I appreciate you, the listener, for making the time for us. Anything we can do to help ourselves get better at something is time well spent. On our next episode, we'll be talking with more HR experts about today's most important HR issues. I'm Jeff Livingston. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay healthy, and be kind. We'll see you soon on our next episode of ADP's Insights at Work.